0: You know what I mean? When you've got like, it's not quite yes. a headache, but it's just kind of—it feels like someone has wrapped a towel
1: around your head, yes. slightly you're too you're tightly. You're not 100%. Yeah. Well, it's good to get the excuses in early. I would believe. Yeah. So I wouldn't.
0: I wouldn't miss a game because of it. I'm not Timo Werner. I wouldn't be substituting. <laughs> I think he deserves more respect for that. It must be really hard with, like, 30,000 people whistling at you. It must be really annoying.
2: But they they were really proud of themselves, weren't they? The no, yeah. fans They thought they'd managed to get a player substituted because he couldn't deal with the noise. It's just, it's just So why did them. he come off? It was in the Champions League last week. He,
0: I heard that this guy came, yes, but what, d- what was the reason? Well, he was holding his ears and he had earplugs in, and the story that came out was that he couldn't handle the noise. My guess is he's got some sort of... Whether he was slightly under Could the weather, like me, yes, mm. and he just he had a headache and he couldn't shift it. And I, having played football with headaches loads of times, it's really hard. He must have played with a headache before.
3: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Some Yeah. People with <laughs> <laughs> some people. <laughs>
3: There's a General Subban <laughs> story coming up later. Oh, is that? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, you oh, oh had you a like tease there. Oh, some yeah.
1: people suffer from very serious migraines, don't they? They can't, they can't continue because they can't see. I've never quite yeah. understood migra- I've never had migraines. In migraines, is it like a headache? Is it brought on by noise? I don't. I don't know no, dif- different, uh, different things Particularly the vision aspect Of oh, course cool. <laughs> uh, But there was, there was a You'll be surprised to know There was an NFL quarterback Called Deshaun Kaiser Who had to be Taken out of the game Because he was also Suffering a migraine Have you made
2: that name up Deshaun completely? Kaiser Deshaun Deshaun
1: Deshaun Kaiser New word K-I-Z-E-R Deshaun Kaiser Deshaun Kaiser who did he play for? He does play for the Cleveland Browns. He is their starting Sean quarterback. And he had to come out of the game because, because he had what? a migraine and obviously he yeah, had yeah. symptoms oh, that yeah. prevented him from... Makes you
3: feel
0: sick and you can't see. It's horrendous.
3: Mm. But like when you say it,
1: people are like, oh, God. not oh, no, no. no. My,
0: my question was, is it triggered by external influences like a headache? Like, if there's too much noise, can that bring on a migraine?
1: I would not know.
2: No
0: idea. I wonder
1: if they live independently from the mm. external influences. Like somebody
3: talking too much on a podcast, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. That, would, yeah.
1: that would induce it. <laughs> Uh, Welcome to Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. We are at the home of the aforementioned but newly named Grandy. We have also met Baby Primrose, who is is currently having a very, very suitably uh, relaxing time in the arms of her mother, Carly. Yes. Yes. Uh, So we have all taken photos. We are all particularly ugly compared to the beautiful Baby Primrose. Uh, We've also spent far too much time listening to uh, Grandy cooing. At Primrose, using the names of his former, not particularly loved managers, by yeah. way of entertainment. Oh, Paul Jewel. Paul Jewel. Paul jewel. It's, when it, it's when she behaves badly. I'm going to throw the <laughs> play the jewel card. That'll, yeah. that'll teach her. <laughs> that'll um, learn her. We are currently midway through a cinnamon swirl, but the kitchen here at Grandee's is being filled with the most incredible smell. Of bacon. <laughs> what you were going to say there? Because
2: there is also a baby in it. it?
1: <laughs> of bacon. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Thank you to Nikki, as ever, who is uh, catering for us beautifully. Um, we are, of course, the four friends that will be talking you through another footballing subject here on Set Piece Menu. So let's introduce you to them as we are being Thank introduced to much. the most glorious plate of breakfast goods. I am Hugh Ferris. I am spending the international break upcoming in Munich. Over there is Steve Wyeth. He's spending the international break in Leicester. Yeah. Just as glamorous. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm not thrilled about it. Nothing
2: against Leicester. It's more the circumstances around it.
1: Andy Hinchcliffe will be spending the international break in full grandy mode. Yes, 24 hours a yes. day. Thank you, Nicky. And Rory Smith will be spending the international break, most likely in a maternity ward. He's promised to name his new child after the player who scores the first goal during his or her life. So stand by for a little daughter called Vladimir. I,
0: I just want <laughs> make to make this amp- abundantly clear. I have not made that promise in any oh, way. Oh, that would be great, though. Do that. But it could Do well be, that. It would be good, though. The worst thing about childbirth, from my point of view, is that the international break would finish and we might, not still ha- we might still not have a baby.
1: And you it were could. counting I mean the whole family planning Was counting on the international break Falling at the time of the birth That's
0: why we oh, conceived back, when we
2: did, did You backed time
1: Yes perfectly
0: We made it abundantly clear We were aiming for the September international break The October international break <laughs> Or the November international break Preferably not the latter one Because the playoffs are more interesting Than the, the final round of You're so qualifying. romantic aren't you yeah. yeah No it's just that Kate loves international football
1: <laughs> <laughs> She wants to be in a maternity ward Having it on the television Wall to wall international football I'll push in a minute through. Put Spain on <laughs> 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 Thank you to everybody who got in touch via both setpiecemenu at gmail.com and also at setpiece menu on Twitter um, for your best of the rest team selections. They were excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Your efforts uh, have been rewarded, as no doubt you already know, by a special bonus pod. Um so we hope you enjoyed the discussion that we had. And also the little extra little treat, courtesy of Mr. Andy Hinchcliffe's tactics board. So then, without further ado to our topic this week, is it getting easier to play away from home? Already this season, there have been three 4-0 away victories in the Premier League. Possession stats seem to be similar, particularly for the big teams on their travels, to what they are at home. Is it just the golfing class between some of the teams, as we discussed on last week's pod, or are fewer stadia, the cliched fortresses, and is it getting easier to play away from home. Our recent experiences might inform this conversation, uh, starting with, for example, uh, Stephen Wyeth, who was commentating on Inter at Benevento on Sunday. Perhaps you could illustrate in that microcosm whether it's easy for teams like Inter, because we've mentioned the Premier League and we will continue to do so, maybe it's easy for teams like Inter in Italy to uh, go on their travels to a provincial bowl stadium, full to the rafters of Benevento fans who are trying to make it as difficult as possible when their football might not necessarily do the job on its own. Yes, I suppose
2: Italy is quite a good example of why playing away from home might still be quite similar to to the way it was in England before the modern stadium became increasingly prevalent. You can eat some cinnamon swirl, son. Yes.
1: <laughs> George is also here, by the way.
2: Uh, that that obviously because the stadiums are, are all sort of quite old and crumbly, in Italy they're all owned by by the local cities or you know the, the local uh, conurbations, aren't they? They're, they're not with, with the exception of Ju- Juventus. The clubs don't own their own stadiums, so they have fallen into disrepair to an extent. They are perhaps it echoes back to a bygone footballing era, and and that was reflected a little bit by the way that that Inter came under pressure late in a game against a team and bearing in mind going into the game Inter were unbeaten they'd only dropped points once and Benevento had become the first team in more than 60 years to lose their first six games in Serie A so form would have suggested it would have been a bit of a procession from an Inter point of view. But as as the home team grew in confidence, so the fans played more of a part. And actually, Inter were were very fortunate at the end to get away with a 2-1 win. So I I do wonder whether there are still parts of Europe, older stadiums, more traditional stadiums, where for these big teams used to playing in more modern environments, more familiar settings, are still going to struggle away from home. And, And I wonder whether that's perhaps not the case in England anymore.
1: So perhaps we've started uh, the conversation with the exception to the rule, which is always nice. You brought it 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 up, not me. No, that's true. And obviously I organise these uh, conversations as beautifully as you might expect. So let's talk about the Premier League then. Three of the top... Seven most regular scorelines are away wins so far this season. Only one of the top seven most regular scorelines back in 2011-2012 was an away win. The same last year too. Is this a recent development or is this something that has been going on over the years? Is it becoming easier, particularly for the top clubs, to play away from home when it always used to be Andy, perhaps in the 1990s yeah, that yeah. you would, as an Everton player, for example, you might mm. have been expected to win quite a few games away from home, but you found it difficult mm. because of the set of circumstances that it's not necessarily being duplicated in the modern era. Yeah, I think there's two things now. You look at the,
3: the golfing class in terms of the teams in the Premier League. So the top maybe five or six sides are that much better. So whether it's home or away, they're probably going to win. But it's, it seems to me the, the atmosphere, the layout of the modern stadium suits an away side I remember when I was playing going to the Dell or going to Millwall the the crowd were literally right. you were taking a throw in and the crowd could basically take the ball out of your hands they were that close to what was going on so you felt intimidated in that way you felt it was difficult to play because you felt the crowd were right on top of you now with the way that these bowl stages are are built it's a little bit more laid back and watching games I, I do think that the away team's players find it a lot more comfortable to play so if you find it more comfortable to play and you're a better side, invariably you're going to win. So I do think it's a, it's a combination
2: of the class of the teams that are playing and also the actual environment that they're playing in. Were there any other difficulties to playing away from home? Because I did hear the the German football journalist, Ralf Honigstein, talking about how he, he'd spoken to goalkeepers of, of maybe ten, twenty years ago who used to really struggle with the sight lines at certain grounds, because yeah, you know, yeah. the, the, mm. maybe the the stands were at different heights or mm. they, they weren 't sort of the, the stadium wasn 't laid out in a in a way that was familiar to those goalkeepers, so they struggled to deal with crosses or shots from long distance because they perhaps lose the flight of the ball, mm. whereas now in modern stadiums. Because it's built the, from the, the viewer's
3: point. It's built yeah. for the
2: viewer, isn't it? Maybe the, the, for the Yeah, the yeah. environments are all quite similar, familiar mm. to players. That yeah. goalkeepers don't have that problem anymore, and and I assume that that would potentially have been a problem for for defenders as well, dealing with with long balls over the top or, or crosses into their own penalty I, so I, area. I,
3: can, I should have used that as an excuse at the time. It was just because I was awful not so playing it, the game. So, so this is 20, t- t- actually, twenty years too late that for you. That stanchion. Oh, it completely blinded me when that cross came in, and that's why he scored the fifteenth goal. But no, I, I do again it's just the way the the layout is. It you go to the the London Stadium to watch West Ham play. I know that was built for a different reason. It's built for athletics, wasn't it? But it's just kind of epitomises what football can be all about. Now it is it is for the viewer, which you're paying a lot of money. Absolutely, granted, you should have great sightlines and be able to see the game. But for the players, certainly the away team players, if if the opposition's fans are 40 yards away from you, sometimes in a strange way you don't feel like you're playing in front of a crowd because it's that set back. And it becomes more like a, a training session. It's that much more relaxed. So it, it has changed an awful lot. I, you just don't see these, maybe down to the Championship Leagues 1 and 2, it probably is a lot more difficult to play away from home. But then again, the quality of the teams is very different. I, I but, wanted. To but win. when we were playing at Everton, we, I, there wasn't that kind of, well, you have to win 10 games away from home. It was if you got anything away from home, wherever you went, it was it was undeniably tough to get something it wasn't presumed that you would get anything the matter whether you thought you were the better team or not away from home was, was very very much more difficult than it is today
0: I find there's a really interesting division in fans of the the top six or seven clubs where I kind of look at things from that, that point of view which is that a draw away from home is inherently a good result mm. I, to me a, a, unless you've got kind of a team that's Cut adrift at the bottom by fifteen twenty points, and Derby Paul Jules Derby, for example. Who's Derby? Paul Jules. Derby <laughs> they were they were cut adrift by at twenty or thirty points at the oh, end. That's extraordinary. They were how cut adrift happened. by the end of September. I, I yeah. don't know how that happened. The um, but anyway, Paul Jules Derby apart, I always t- tend to think that kind of a, a draw you know a draw away at Brighton or at Newcastle, what you know, or or West Brom, isn't. It kind of isn't, cannot be a bad result. It's a draw away from home, but there is a, there is now. A, it's an interesting age division, I think, where people who've been brought up on, on the the kind of the standards that they expect of the top six, seven now, a draw away from home is two drop points. I always see it as one
1: point gain. It's sometimes just a mathematical thing. If you think about where you're going to win your points, if you are a title challenging team, you might win, say, all but two or three at home. Mm. Then you take the total of that and you think how many points do you need to win to win the title and often you cannot afford to lose that many away from home not because it's points totals have gone up necessarily but the amount of teams who are going to be challenging for the title sometimes makes that prohibitive so I always used to think that that you would split the top 10 and the bottom 10 and if Sir Alex Ferguson again sorry to mention him all the time but when you speak to him a lot you remember what he says because he's usually shouting it at you um if he could pick up 10 wins at home and 10 wins away against the bottom 10, mm. that would be the basis from which your base camp, from which you would launch your assault at the summit. The flat a bully approach. Exactly. Almost, so yeah. they would be in a situation where they were capable almost of losing some of those crucial Super Sunday matches because they had built their basis, their strong foundation from which they would... And they would, I would imagine, consider the away trips to those bottom 10 in a similar way as they would treat the home games against them. They are bottom 10 teams, regardless of whether this team is away or this team is home. We need to get the points and we have to do that to launch a campaign to try and win the Premier League title. So sometimes it's not necessarily about the environment in which you play. Literally, it's about just the statistical necessity mm. to win as many points away from home as at home. It, what's interesting now, though, I think that's, that's
0: probably always been true, hasn't it? That, that, that title winning teams would yeah. say, right, we are going to we're, we're going to smash the bottom half of the lead at home and away and that's that will then sort of fire us into, into contention. What's interesting now though is how sort of submissive almost team seem. So it has...
3: It's the thing about the fans as well, home fans, do they, when City come to town or United, do, do they kind of, in a strange, are they more watching the away side than their own team so they don't get as maybe in your face as the in, in the, as the opposition I don't think they used to do? Do they kind of relax and just watch the game So if we get anything out of this game it's great because we're playing against the top side here.
0: I don't think they they they're watching the big the bigger team more than the, than the home team but there there is an element i think of if of if we get anything out of this game then that's a bonus mm. for a lot of teams in the premier league there is an an assumption that man city or chelsea or united or arsenal will come to your ground and have the ball which never i'm sure never used to happen it always used to be the case that no matter how big the, the team was that was visiting the home team would would be expected almost to be on the front on the front foot that's why being away from home, yeah. Just th- th- there are the, the sort of circumstantial difficulties, the travel, particularly in Europe, you know, that's now much easier as they're all on private jets you know, the familiarity, so it's not like you'd, you're you going to Tbilisi now and, you know, it's behind the Iron Curtain and you've never been to Georgia before and you can't drink the water and everyone's speaking a language that you don't understand which for English footballers in the 1960s was very rare, <laughs> uh, and you know, there's, there's kind of, all that stuff's been, been, been washed away, the stadiums is re- that's a really interesting point that they're now much more familiar, much more comfortable mm. I know they eat like Napoli which is the, I think Napoli's between my Sir Alex Ferguson to mention it all the time <laughs> but Napoli, That's okay, we've, we've all got our crutches on which we lean When Napoli played Real Madrid in the last in the Champions League last year they did up the dressing rooms at the San Paolo, one of the San Paolo's main attractions or the, not attractions, but one of the San Paolo's main sources Sorry. of fear is that it's horrible yeah. you, don't you don't want to go there, you want to get in get out Hopefully alive and then and leave. If you're an opposition player, it's incredibly intimidating. But even Napoli thought, oh, we can't get, we can't make Cristiano Ronaldo change into that. <laughs> and and I think that 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 is a, is a sign of, of there is an assumption now that facilities have to be great, whereas there maybe is an advantage in facilities not being great.
2: Yeah. Um, so so the yeah. good teams have got better, as we've discussed on a recent podcast. The gulf between the very exceptional clubs and the the, the best of the rest is it seems to be growing even further apart. Uh, travel has become easier, we're saying. Um, the surroundings have become more and more familiar. And, and footballers are comfortable everywhere they go. They're not having to travel by bus or coach or, or train on long-away trips. Arsenal fly to Norwich. For crying out loud Don't they Whenever Arsenal Play away at Norwich They fly from London To Norwich
0: Have you ever driven From London to Norwich (laughs) Well uh,
2: I know Norwich Completely it's awful. Yeah well I've driven From Manchester to Norwich So you know That's even more painful But you know If if a a relatively short journey How how long would that take On the road
3: Two and a half hours London to Norwich Yes
1: Up to a week (laughs) (laughs) Just just don't go during rush hour Because you'd have about Four on your route
2: but you know, so not once a season Arsenal aren't going. Oh, do you know, we've got a really slow a road journey to Norwich. Oh, we might get stuck behind a combine harvester or a tractor, or somebody's still travelling around by horse and cart. They've, they they <laughs> they, they cut happens. it all out. They cut it out, and they, they fly, don't they? Apologies, Apologies to, friends, to everybody who lives in
1: a Norfolk area.
2: I have been to Norfolk and
0: <laughs> stuff very recently. As if beautiful as part of the world. As if Meza Özil knows what an a road is. In fact, we should probably explain that to our, our listeners. An A-road is a road that's... that's Not a motorway. Not a motorway, which is what you call a highway. <laughs> it, it As if Mesut Ozil
1: knows what Norfolk is as yeah, well. Yeah, that's true.
0: He no, just but arrives. So I think all that stuff's changed, but there has also been a, a cultural shift that's really important that is an acceptance that the big teams will dominate the big teams will expect to win every game home and away we've touched on it before I think partly that's to do with the relative size of clubs in the league so I think if you're Bournemouth or Swansea and Manchester United are are in town you will have a different expectation of what that game should look like to if you're Leeds or Aston Villa I think that, is, that, that without a shadow of a doubt is relevant but there's also a kind of You mean a
1: historical re- uh, uh, expectation of how the team plays, the identity of that team. Yeah and I, or, or what, what a match between your team
0: and one of the giants in inverted commas should look like I think Leeds fans would think that a Leeds game, in it. Leeds fans would not be particularly willing to watch Leeds sit back deep at home against Manchester United there would be a belief that Leeds have to be in United's face And they have to be Taking the game to them And going toe-to-toe with them Swansea And this is no disrespect to Swansea Don't have that same expectation there is Even though they rise. play In a division higher Yeah Because right. to Swansea They are a club on a Different level to, to Manchester United So there is There's no kind of preconceived idea Of we should be able to match These These, these teams For You know For skill For possession For ability For chances We will sit back thought watching Newcastle Liverpool was really interesting That in the second half, particularly, Liverpool just had the ball. I mean, I think they had, at one point they had 78% possession at St James's Park. And n- more in- more interesting th- than that was the fact that nobody at St James's Park seemed to mind. No, but this is where the tactical side of it, from a
3: coach's point of view, mm. he's not thinking: We're at St James's Park. This is historically what we do against anybody. We put them under pressure. No, our game is this. So yes, you can have the ball, but if we come out with a one-all draw, we're happy with that. And so fans are maybe having to accept. The coaches don't really care where the game is being played. Their tactical plan is what it is. And if it ends up with a point or a win, that's exactly what they're looking for. So they're not going to... The, the Newcastle fans will say, let's get into them, let's, let's disrupt them. No, the game plan is to sit off, to allow them to have the ball, we're going to play on the counter-attack, even though we're at home. That's
1: because in, in Rafa we trust, that's why, yeah. partly, because they trust their manager to override their sense of traditional expectation that they should be attacking.
0: But what's really interesting about that is that... And I'm going to lay down my microphone once I've dropped this, this bomb. Football's the division between home and drop away. Are you dropping the mic? No, Isn't uh, that the whole gonna, thing? I'm going to literally <laughs> drop the mic so I can finish my breakfast. The, the division between home and away in football and the significance it, ha- it has on results is an outlier. All other sports follow what we're talking about now has being a new a new thing in football, where home and away mi- is, is kind of either irrelevant or the the results kind of mirror each other. It's all to do with the quality of the side and the tactical outlay. Yeah, in basketball, in ice hockey, in rugby, in American football, any sport you care to mention, home and away doesn't really matter. It Doesn't matter as much as it does in football. You can go to a baseball match and the Red Sox will beat the the San Francisco Giants in San Francisco because they're better at baseball than they are. Mm-hmm. There isn't that same impact that it has in football so in a way if home and away no longer matters as much as it used to that is actually football just sort of falling into line with with every other sport pretty much where what matters is the quality of the team the tactics of the coach not where it's being played so I guess that does point to it being what to the change being a circumstantial one to do with the situation not to do with the nature of the sport
1: As Rory now drops his mic literally thankfully Quietly as well. Um, how about this? In the, each of the last three seasons, the team at the top of the away table at the end of the league when you split them up into home and away tables have won more points than the previous season to suggest that it is becoming easier to play away, but also that teams are using that as much more of a foundation and planning themselves. Are you actually, plan-
2: are you actually using facts to support a point of discussion? This is most unlike you. Are you feeling okay? I know it's,
1: it's almost journalistic. Who would have thought it?
2: We're just plucking thoughts out of the yeah, air here and, yeah, yeah, and yeah, trying yeah. to compile together so, some sort of cohesive argument. You're actually using statistics. And I evidence. feel like, do I need to drop my mic as well? So I just want say the bottom 14 teams. Take out the real
3: heavyweights in the Premier League. You look to the the, the 14 teams in the Premier League, below the top six. Would the same thing apply? Does home and away become more important to those teams? Because the playing field is a bit more level. So we're not talking about, say, Palace playing Manchester City. If we're talking about Leicester playing Southampton, does home and away apply more to those 14 teams than it will do to the top six? That's when you probably have to look and say, well, then maybe it comes into play when teams are pretty similar. One side isn't really dominating the other. One side isn't clearly better than the other. Does home and away then apply much more
1: It's also situational-based and it's also style-based. So, for example, Mm. Manchester City will play in that way regardless if they're home and away. They're not necessarily much better than Chelsea as a team, but they had much more of the ball than Chelsea in the game at Stamford Bridge. But then Chelsea, if you look at the game that they played at Stoke, they only just had over 50% of the ball and they won by four goals to nil. So people skin cats in in different ways. But the situa- well, people shouldn't
3: skin-cats. Let's skin just cast. make that clear. That, can yes. I just
1: say that as yeah. a metaphor? It is. And not a literal suggestion. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, the situational part of it is twofold. It's about the away fans mm. having an effect and supporting their team. And that could be upper echelons or lower echelons of the Premier League, if we're taking that as an example. But the other situational aspect is something that we talked about on the la- last podcast, which was about teams who are fighting for something towards the end of the season, where you pick up your points tends to matter much, much more. So if you've got three or four teams trying to stay off relegation and their home form is relatively similar, it's getting that incredibly important away win. And so that might affect the statistics over the course of a season. It's interesting to see in the top four leagues in Europe, the percentage of away wins currently at this point of the season is higher in three out of the four of them this season than it has been over the last six seasons taking that as an average only anomalously uh, Germany is down, Italy's massively up, Spain is massively up England is, is also up but that again you have to take in the context of the situation because at the beginning of the season we've mentioned it before, teams aren't necessarily playing for as much, their, their duties are not crystallised, mm-hmm. their priorities are different and so they might not necessarily try as hard away from home even though they don't mean to
0: I'm now back, I have finished my breakfast Welcome back It was Bye. delicious okay, so and, your mic is and your mic is still working <laughs> And I have been listening and eating uh, And enjoyed both um, <laughs> the, Is that partly to do with possibly The, the kind of overriding philosophical approach to the game now Is to do with pressing, counter-attacking Sort of exploding forwards Possession seems to be a little bit kind of passé that <laughs>
1: that's that's a, that's a good, that's mean, quite a good joke yeah it's you good, meant that
0: i didn't mean it but that sort of style of football probably lends itself more naturally to playing away from home than to playing at home doesn't it that, that if you if you're looking for the other team to have the ball so that you can strike on the counter then you kinda of want to be away from home. That's that's in your interest because then the other team might have the ball and you can then pick them off. Well I find Burnley a
3: really interesting case because listening to Sean Dice talk about the home and away form of Burnley this season. La- last season away from home, they were dreadful, really struggled to pick up points. This season they've done really well at Anfield at Wembley, Stamford Bridge, Goodison Park, they've been superb. And he was asked, Well, what's different? Do you play differently away from home than you do at home? And he said, No, our game plan is what it is. And normally with a team like Burnley, who are probably gonna battle to try and stay in the Premier League, you think turf more they'd go all guns blazing to try and pick up as many points as they can which they did last season and try and kind of scrabble around for points away from home but his game plan is exactly the same they'll sit behind the ball they'll let the opposition have the ball they'll look to use their game plan which is playing counter-attacking football and use it effectively so he's just again forgotten where the game is being played and it's all about the team knowing what their jobs are and how they're meant to go about getting points, whether it be home or away.
1: But is it a new thing? Because when you were playing, did you have a different philosophy playing away from home than you did at home? Or did you get rid of the environment and try and play the same Well, I played football so long philosophy? ago, we didn't seem to have
3: a philosophy.
2: We, <laughs> no, no, I'm not being funny. We, you we, did get we, a horse and cart to Norwich.
3: We did. We, did. we played 4-4-2 four, four, and mm. Of course, there's talk about set pieces and marking different... But there wasn't the kind of chopping and changing in formations and about this letting the opposition... You wanted to try and dominate the ball. That was kind of a, a badge of honour. You, you'd say, well, we, we don't want to have 30% of the ball. The percentages were never even discussed back then about how much or little of the ball you had. You just wanted to get on the ball, play well and score goals. That was It was that simple. But obviously, the game has, has been kind of broken down and different formations have come in, different ways of thinking, different ways of playing... And coaches obviously then look at the individual players, the squads that they've got, and then kind of play the way that they feel is best for their squads. But back back then, if you were really just playing one formation, players just played in those set positions and you wanted to get on the ball and, and try and be effective and, and win the game. So home and away, we did feel under more pressure when I was at, at Man City, obviously at Sheffield Wednesday, Everton as well, certainly Goodison Park. You felt your own fans were expecting you to... So that puts enormous pressure, actually, on home players. Maybe that's an element as well, where home players feel enormously under pressure mm. because the weight of
0: expectation we'll, of, of their we'll own fans. About, we're at home, we've got to win. We'll talk about Spurs and Wembley in a yeah. second. Yeah. Oh, when you went away from home, would the manager say, say to you, kind of, don't commit too many men forward early on, keep the ball, get into, build, build your way into the game? We'd do, would, do we'd, all the basics, but we wouldn't yeah. say... So we'll sit everybody back in our own half. And let
3: them have the, let their back four have possession. Because normally, if you play four four two, your two strikers would press the two centre halves or their back four. You you wouldn't allow them comfortable possession to play into your half and play from there. Because that was just the structure of the team. But as things have changed and alone strikers, extra midfielders, teams have got deeper and deeper. But we just, as I say, we just played that one way. That was the formation of the team. So that's where your players tended to be, and the coaches didn't seem to think. Well, we'll
0: adapt our formation, play a different way, allow the opposition to have it. It just didn't happen back then. So, keeping the crowd quiet for the first 20, 25 minutes of a of an away game that wasn't a deliberate instruction. Oh, it was, but again,
3: it, in, in the ways that you do it, is is obviously you play the ball. You can't keep the opposition pinned back, so you try and play the ball over the top, try and force the opposition back. But that was. Yeah, not sitting off and just frustrating the crowd and frustrating the opposition, letting them have loads of the ball but doing nothing with it. We used to try and, again, try and get as high up the pitch as we could, try and get the opposition back in their own half. And that would stop them having a first 15, 20 minutes if they were to score. And then once the crowd, no, absolutely we'd, we'd do that, but not in the way that probably teams do it today, by frustrating, by sitting deep, everybody back behind the ball and just not allowing
2: the opposition any time and space to score the first goal. So before you get to to Wembley, which is almost like the, the Uber extension of the of the modern Not stadium. in London,
1: it's not anymore. Oh. Oh, that's, oh. that's two for me today. Thank you very much and, and, get up.
2: and so and so too, the the London Stadium, which is is clearly not an ideal place to either play or watch. Football. That we we started this discussion by by talking about Italy and these these old stadiums, which all had their their own unique characteristics. But so many of these clubs are desperate to get away from that c- communal environment and have their own purpose-built stadiums. So have, have teams in England and in other parts of the world where 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 old traditional football stadiums have been replaced with these more identikit setups, have, have they lost a competitive edge at home, which is? taken away the fear factor of of playing away from home which has changed the mindset then for for basically all away games because you're no longer compartmentalising your season into picking up a certain number of points at at home and then almost selecting the away games which are, are the least daunting you talked about Sir Alex Ferguson earlier, and, and, and Southampton, and Chinch mentioned Southampton's old ground, the Dell, whenever you think of Manchester United against Southampton, you think about the grey kit fiasco, and there was a couple of times in successive seasons where United lost quite embarrassingly at Southampton, and those games still spring to mind when you, you think of a, matches between those two teams, but it's something like 14 or 15 years since Manchester United have lost at Southampton, so yes, Southampton moved into a new state-of-the-art Stadium, which was obviously good from a business point of view, but have clubs lost a competitive edge on the pitch? And would you therefore maybe discourage certain other teams that were thinking about abandoning their old homes? Uh, Mm. Swansea's old Vetchfield was a difficult place to go. And and likewise, would you look at places like Wembley and, and London Stadium and say, this is how potentially badly wrong things can go for you if you're moving into a stadium that's designed by architects and by businessmen but not actually with football in mind
1: there is obviously a a directly proportional correlation to be made between struggles at home and then the prospect of it being easier to play away from home so yes we can distill it down to Wembley which is always used as an excuse for underperformance by England by saying that there, there are several players who wouldn't have had the chance to play at Wembley it's a wonderful place they come and play against England at Wembley, their game is raised and you can use that argument to apply to the teams that are going to play Spurs and have already played Spurs uh, this season. But is that more about that aspect of it or is it more about the fact that Spurs haven't necessarily been able to acclimatise to Wembley and, yes, use this terrible word again, make it a fortress? There's an element uh,
0: that's tactical with Spurs, isn't there? The, the pitch at White Hart Lane was really, was really tight and really small. And even though Wembley is only kind of six yards wide or something, which is not a huge amount. But that, that influences the way that Spurs' c- positioning has to be on the pitch, particularly for the type of game they play.
2: The pitch at Wembley is the equivalent of a tennis court in size bigger than the pitch at White Hart Lane. Lovely there
0: you go lovely and, not, and sure that, not sure that clears it up for <laughs> me to be perfectly honest no,
2: but it's, it's, do, fa- it's fairly foot- yeah, it's fairly it's fairly minimal difference though if you think about the size of a tennis court in relation to the size of a they, football pitch. they do pitch.
1: think size of things in football pitches but with football pitches you have to do size of things in, in, in tennis courts, courts yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The um this tennis court is one squash court bigger
1: than the other <laughs> yeah. tennis court
0: the is
2: it singles or doubles
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you think about how finely tuned everything is and how organised everybody has to be, that is quite a lot of extra space to deal with, and it will take Spurs a degree of time to, d- to get used to that. I'm sure Spurs aren't going to draw and lose every game at Wembley this season. But
1: and they've already, in the Champions League, yeah, they've already showed that, that, that what was bad last year can be made yeah. good.
0: The, but there, there must be, logically, there must be, a, from what Steve says, there must be an element of competitive advantage lost when you move from a place that is atmospheric and intimidating and full of memories to what is essentially a blank canvas and it takes time for that for that fear factor to come so when Arsenal moved into the Emirates I think they won loads of games pretty quickly but that's just Arsenal were a brilliant team well, so, Yeah, I was just about to say about
3: Man City moving from Main Road to the Etihad if City hadn't had all the money to spend on these fabulous players and in essence that City team had kind of changed a little bit but was kind of on the same level do you think they'd have had the success of the Etihad that they had at Main Road I'm sure they wouldn't have done because they would have found it more difficult to play in much more comfortable surrounding the opposition would have would have made it much more difficult
1: for them but it's also the nature of home fans are changing or fans in yeah. your home stadium are changing clearly the more space that you have the less will be filled by those hardcore fans which I would imagine as percentage is reduced so the atmosphere will either be be spread yeah, well, or it'll it. be concentrated to a smaller part and then the rest will be filled by those who don't necessarily make the same amount of noise or make the same noise in the first place
0: the the, the number of hardcore fans is probably the same but it's more diffuse around the yeah. stadium. And certainly at the Etihad, I always think that the, the way the Etihad is laid out is really bizarre because what you want, even in a bowl stadium,
1: is one end. You need to have a home end. And they experimented with that, I think last season or maybe the season before, to try and get a singing area. And actually Manchester United have had the same issue with, with a singing area, to try and uh, falsify or force the fact that you've got all those groups together. Because, yeah, they're split either side of the home fans, one in one corner on one end of the south stand and one taking up the other half of the south stand. This is at the Etihad um, with the, the away fans in the middle.
0: Yeah, and it, it kind of it makes it hard. They're quite often sitting to each other or, or doing that weird thing where they, they, they all appear to kind of look away from the football and just shout at the <laughs> just away shout fans.
1: At the, I don't care like about what's happening
0: over there. I'm going to shout at this guy. You're fat. <laughs> the, um, yeah, and I think that is a problem. But the, the, no question that the, the change in atmosphere... I think it's a... Yeah. There's, there's a lot there's kind of a lot at play. It must be partly tactical, it must be partly to do with travel and comfort yeah. and all that. Probably partly to do with lack of memory from the the players. You know, foreign players coming into England aren't gonna think and this isn't a kind of and this isn't like a Brexit sentiment, but they're not gonna think, Ooh, it's St James's Park or Ooh, it's the Stadium of Light or Ooh, some, you know, it's difficult to go to West Brom. They they don't There's care. no
2: mystique for them, is there? They're they, not yeah.
0: interested. They've never heard of these places. They don't know where they are, they and as you say, because they travel so fast they won't notice that that it's a long way away. They it won't want to them. Oh, Norwich at the end of an A road. This was a pain to get to. Although that's maybe one example if they ever did drive it. <laughs> but the um, so there, there must be an element of that. And but there must also be an element that it, it's it's quieter in ground. I was just about to say. Do you think in the next
3: 10-15 years we're going to see certainly home fans get quieter and quieter, yeah. and we'll just sit and watch?
1: You won't have to silence them after 20 minutes because they'll already be quiet. Well, this
3: is this always used to be the case. If you're in a stadium, say of 50,000 people, you had maybe three or four thousand travelling fans. After 15, 20 minutes, if you can quieten down the bulk of the, the the noise, well, the lack of noise from home fans is is fantastic for an away team. And if the game starts like that, with the with the fans just sitting there waiting to be entertained. For an away team, you think, well, we we don't feel under any pressure. You you do hear the noise, and you don't sometimes when you're playing. Players don't get that affected, maybe, by it. But when things are quiet, strangely, players notice it. Home players, I know, will notice it a lot more when nothing is being said, rather when there's kind of that that din of noise that you would normally expect from a from a really exciting game.
1: And just ask Timo Werner about. uh, how the noise of the home fans can affect you in oh, a negative a way. Half. Everybody knows that story, hopefully from the Besiktas game. But
0: Klopp's touched on that and I remember having a conversation with Chris Sutton about it on the Monday Night Club, where we were we were basically debating completely different things and kept disagreeing because
2: you and Chris Sutton weren't seeing eye to on any point of football discussion. I get d- I d- on really well with Chris Sutton.
0: He plays up to this image, I think, of being. I think he of enjoys of it. Doesn't the he? grumbly man. I think that's his kind of USP.
1: It's like the Steve Wyeth of Monday Night. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's yeah. true. I yeah. mean, yeah.
0: a lot of people have told me actually that Sutton did base his whole personality on Steve. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's um, true. I wouldn't be surprised. So he puts himself out not, there. Not, that not
2: way. his footballing prowess, and certainly not his goal scoring record. Though. Like he, him, that was his own work.
0: Like him, you. Can play in central defence or up front.
2: He I was accomplished know. at both of those things. Though
0: I don't think I'd say he was accomplished. Um, I think he was. You know, you'll get
1: you'll get into an argument with he, Chris Sutton. Stop he, stop even it. though he's not here, <laughs> he I'll I'll be defending him. <laughs> he played football.
0: No, the but the occasionally we kind of find ourselves at cross purposes because we both have a a different like interpretation of of something. But Klopp said something a few weeks ago about it being hard to play at home for Liverpool because of the history. The way that Chris Sutton took that was that. That the players were thinking, oh, God, I'm not as good as Peter Beardsley or whatever. But I think what Klopp was driving at was that the fans are turning up and thinking we should be winning every game 4-0. Yes, yes. And because of that, there is this kind of... You go into the stadium and there is this air of expectation of... And after five, <coughs> ten minutes, you're not winning. Why aren't you winning? And after 20 minutes, you haven't scored. That, Why haven't you scored? And not it's,
1: just Liverpool. People with recent history to adhere to as well. Yeah.
0: Well, Exactly. And, 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 and I think what happens is, at more and more grounds, and I'd say this even applies down to down to in inverted commas, but like Leicester and maybe even Southampton, the fans kind of ex- are at the at the ground expecting their team to win. And they're sort of sitting there with crossed, crossed arms, sort of going, well, you're not winning yet. Martinez talked about it at Everton, said Goodison was a horrible place for Everton to play because the fans after 20 minutes were just thinking, well, you're not winning yet. What are you doing? And then that puts so much pressure on I was going to say, is that you, oppressive? You can see from the outside, and Chinchill obviously... Be able to confirm or deny, mm. but from the outside, you could see the players start to panic, and the decisions get worse and worse and worse. And when you're Ross Barkley, who makes bad decisions in the first place, that that's a disaster. And I think that happens at it happens at Arsenal. It happens at Mourinho's talked about it at Chelsea. It happens everywhere that the fans, the attitude of fans, has changed subconsciously, subtly, probably without realising it. And now teams are under pressure at home, whereas away, maybe they feel liberated.
2: It's probably part of a wider discussion, but if you are the fan of a, of a mid-table club, 25 years ago when you know local lads or you know maybe journeyman pros were playing for your team, you accepted their limitations. But now because players are being signed for huge sums, they're getting paid massive wages and your ticket price has gone up vastly over the course of the last couple of decades, you're not going to... You're not going to have that same you know, margin for error from your your players that you might have done in the past. You expect to be entertained because you're all too aware of how well these people are paid and how much it's costing you to watch them. So you, you won't have a sympathy for those, for those off days. You well, this, will expect yeah, them this is why to I be scoring Ever- and winning. Everton
3: fans are looking at the current team and it's exactly that I feel the Everton, the really glory days of the Everton in, in the 80s when they're winning leagues and winning European competitions. Just before when you joined. I, just before I joined. But when I, I felt the weight of that. You say that players maybe don't think... I, I certainly felt when I was playing for Everton, I did, didn't want to be part of a, a dreadful Everton team because considering how wonderful they'd been, I didn't want fans watching me thinking, this is how far we've fallen, even though it was true. So <laughs> at the moment, Everton fans are watching that. So I do agree with you, but they're in a way looking at those players saying, are these really... This is modern football, but are those players for big money on huge wages, is that really what Everton... Because it is a unique club. Is that what we are all about? And I, I feel they're really disappointed, not just in the performances, but the players that are coming in, but that is just the modern... in fact. So the fans have to accept that if it's not Gilfie Sigurdsson, if it's not Wayne Rooney, it will be somebody else for big money on big wages. That's just how football is played. But they seem to me, Everton fans, really disappointed in the players that they have playing for them because it doesn't chime with kind of what they felt about the players that have been there over the last maybe 30 or 40 years that were kind of less pl- less in terms of talent but there was a togetherness there was a team spirit and the club felt as one at the moment it feels like
0: fans and players are completely separate but I'd love to know even at a level below Everton so kind of West Brom and Stoke are a bit different because they've both got this, this sort of pulic- pulicified reputation for being tough to play although I think Stoke's home record against the big six is awful but in the last two or three years, but I'd love to know whether well, I'm trying to think what's the best example of kind of a it'd be Southampton or Watford. Watford's probably quite a, so. When Watford fans go to see their team play Liverpool or United or Chelsea, what do they what do they expect? What are they? I, I, it's not something I, you, just you go to those games and you kind of hear the fans sort of grumble when they lose the ball and they they kind of complain when they concede and you see them all go sort of when when. They go do two nil down inside twenty five minutes to Man United or whatever. But what what are their expectations? What would they consider a decent afternoon? They, does that, I think part of their brains they can't be expect, expecting to win the Doesn't it depend who the they're game. playing? They lose six nil at home to Man City. Yeah.
3: They probably say Man City brilliant. They're probably going to win the league. If they lose at home to Leicester or to Bournemouth,
1: okay. then, we, then it's a very different. Yeah, exactly. With those games,
0: they are thinking the, these are the games we have to win. And it's yeah. the
1: same at the top of the league. You will you will care more about the results of a match that you want to win but need to win. Mm and not just and perhaps we've spoken about it before you don't know whether they're going to win as opposed to those games against mm. against teams who you might not necessarily expect to win but yeah the, the sense of expectation I think is on a match-by-match basis when you don't necessarily expect to win every single time yeah.
2: I think if you're the if fan of a club like Watford at home to Manchester United you go in the hope rather than expectation that this is the one time out of 8, 9 or 10 that your team beats Manchester United at home and you get the celebrations you get the headlines you get all the glory that comes with that and you also that's the game that you talk about then for the next five, ten well, years is they did isn't last it? year I was, I was there Watford that day beat Manchester United so it's in not, September yeah, of 2016 yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Exactly so you don't you don't go expecting your team to, to beat Manchester United you go hoping that this is the rare occasion that they do
3: I was just wondering there 10, maybe ten years ago you lose 6-0 at home to United City anybody the fans would be song. saying the manager's got to go but now it's kind of, well, City, well, man, we've, 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 been, we've been beat by a really good side,
0: 6-0. We've always got next week. Football is coming to this, the prioritisation of, of, of spectacle over suspense. That people increasingly want to see, or accept that they will see, these amazing agglomerations of talent. These, these fantastic teams who have far better players than they will ever, ever encounter. And they are adjusting their kind of expectations accordingly, yeah. so now sitting on the feet at home isn 't the end of the world
1: and perhaps uh, strangely but almost fittingly we 've finished our conversation talking about away from home by talking about home because the two things are inextricably linked. Mm. Two teams on the field, always two teams on the field. It's time before we go, for never mind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story. This is when Andy tells us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel worthy details removed. Andy, you have already teased to us what you will be talking about, or a player, in fact, that you will be talking about. So who is it? When was it? What is the soccer story? Oh, this is a, a wonderful story. It's a gentle story, really, about Gerald Sibon.
3: The wonderful Gerald Sibon. You must remember Gerald Sibon, oh, yeah, six foot oh. three and he was dreadful for Sheffield Wednesday, but then went on to play for PSV. I think in the Champions League, graced the Champions League. But he was he was Dutch. But don't read too much into that. He was a good friend of Vimyonk. Read quite a lot into that. But they, they were very they were very dry sense of humour. Now I used to surprisingly I was injured quite a bit at Sheffield Wednesday. I know that'll come as a surprise to you. So I spent a lot of time around the the dressing room area, the treatment room helping the laundry ladies out, that type of thing. So I used to, when I was training, I used to do a lot of reading. I've always done a lot of reading. So I used to take a book into, uh, into training and stuff, just to some of the time you got to kill. So Gerald clearly, I didn't know he'd done this. He ripped the final few pages <laughs> of, of my book out. Clearly didn't tell me. I must have left it in the changing room. So he's re- I didn't know this. So I'm reading the book, and maybe halfway through it, Gerald's looking at me in that way thinking, have you noticed yet? And clearly I wouldn't have done because I'm still halfway through the book. So a few days go past, I'm reading a bit more, reading a bit more, getting towards the end, and he's looking at me in that way, thinking, have you noticed yet? No, I haven't Haven't seen it yet. I get to the point when I get to the end of the book and then realise that there are some pages missing. And I think, what? And then I realize, and Gerald comes over and says, have you seen what I've done there? I've ripped the final few pages. I said, yes, but what you've done, the story's actually finished. You've ripped out the first few pages for the start of the next novel in the series. <laughs> So actually he hadn't realised where it ended Taking out the proper pages so I wouldn't know that the butler had done it And actually ripped out the start of the next book in the series So I still thoroughly enjoyed it So him being clever, trying to be smart Which he was very clever But you've got to do your homework You've got to realise you're taking out the wrong pages here Gerald You're a fool
1: So England 1, Holland nil. Uh, what What was the book, can you remember? It was, was probably sort It was either a Dostoevsky classic. <laughs> no it wasn't, or what was it really. Yeah, it was, was Dost- probably a Lee Child Jack Reacher thriller. Yeah, there's a, there's a second in second in the uh, the series of Dostoevsky's yeah. Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment Two don't is that, is that, that Raskolnikov?
3: Is that, is that Raskolnikov? He's the he's the protagonist, isn't he? Yeah. Is that right? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, I did do a bit of reading. But uh, I remember, part everything <laughs> the only Wikipedia Crime and No, I've read it. Is it the Brothers Karamazov as well? About that? Another one. Yes, another one. There we go. Interestingly, the brothers
0: Karamazov, 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 Karamazov. Obviously, the the brothers. Karamazov that actually starts famously at the end of Crime and Punishment in a sort of and here's what's coming next from Fyodor section <laughs> well there we go so he would so have he, ripped those yeah. pages out those are the pages that went well there we go but anyway the only book I was ever
3: given by another footballer Pat Nevin once gave me a book uh, by Albert Camus oh, The Outsider is. oh yes yeah. I studied what, what that for French what was, he, what was he trying to tell me that you were a goalkeeper it. like
1: Camus was. Yes,
3: but what's the, what's the, what's the yeah. thrust of the book? Is It's is no, it it like, time
1: to look for a new club. Is you a weirdo <laughs> really you should be playing football? Was that, is that the kind of thing? Well, not necessarily be playing football. You shouldn't be spending any time with any of those people. Ah, I see, right? I, That's I see. Nice little moral to that. Yes. Yes, um, yes, and yes. Thank you very much indeed uh, to Andy as ever and uh, Gerald Sibong in oh. absentia for providing us with that uh, soccer story. Um, if you'd like to ask Andy any questions, don't forget there is a long-running hashtag called Ask and you're welcome to do that either at set piece menu on Twitter or set piece menu at gmail.com. He has plenty of stories, but just in case he runs out, hashtag AskChinch is how you can ask him a question, which we will endeavor to answer. Please do subscribe, share, rate, and review. We humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Andy, Rory, and Steve, to Nikki, to Carly, to Primrose, to George, um, to the two people who we had to pause recording for uh, from Amazon for delivering parcels to Casa de la Grande, um, and to you for listening. <laughs> (laughs) We'll be back with another set-piece menu for you to enjoy very soon.
2: We have actually had some communication for for Chinch. Are you you aware of this particular uh, statistic? That uh, Cesar Azpelaqueta could be challenging this season for the record for the most assists provided by a defender in a season. Everton's Andy Hinchcliffe laid on 11 goals in the 94-95 campaign, a feat matched by Leighton Leighton Baines Baines with the Toffees in 2010-11.
0: How many has Azpelaqueta got?
2: I don't know how many he's got Definitely. right now, but
0: that's. Because I'm not being funny, but it's, it's, it's you know, early in the season. <laughs> Literally anybody it's, it's could be challenging. It's the beginning now. of October. <laughs> Jamal Lassell could get 12 assists between now Hold
3: and the 11th. How many assists have you provided in Premier League? Well, you'd think, oh, it's very easy, is it? Oh, I just step on the pitch and create a chance. <laughs> it's not like that at all.
0: I'm surprised th- at you there. I think creating chances, we've discussed this, Jim. Yes. I think creating chances is the hardest thing at the football pitch. It's not a lot, is it? It's not that many. That, I, I think it took me more than that, wouldn't you?
2: Well, you should have tried harder then. Yeah, you should have tried harder. Oh, yeah.
0: That's where I went wrong. Should have stopped thinking fun. about your Chinese takeaway.
3: Oh, <laughs> sweet. Sou-